<laughs> music cracks me up. I feel like I have to say something very, very important now. And so I will, and so I will. Uh, Ed and Debbie Pilars are grandparents again. And uh, so we're... It, hold your applause for a moment. Uh, Stuart, I mean, good job, but hold, uh, Stuart and Isabel have a baby, Oliver, who was, uh, who's about like four and a half pounds or something. So they found it best to take him a little bit early, but everybody's healthy. So now let's rejoice in the Lord about that little Oliver. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Yeah. And I got the chance, I, I got to be in on the wedding ceremony, and I got to be in on the premarital counseling. I know that these young people love the Lord, and they want to raise that little boy for the Lord. And they want to build his little life on what we've been talking about in our ABF hour, the Bible, the Word of God for people, what we've been spending all of our week on, vacation, Bible school, Bible school for all the, all the children. This is the deal, right? I had a guy in a former church who was a farmer, he was a dairy farmer. I went out to visit him on his dairy farm. One day, he's a very quiet man, didn't say much at all. And he had six boys and a girl, and living out on this uh, big dairy farm. When I went out to see him, he, uh, I asked him some questions, and uh, he didn't really talk too much unless you really pressed him uh, with questions. But one of the things that he said when I was out there on his farm one day made a lot of sense. It made sense of a lot of things I knew about him. He said, every morning I get up early to milk the cows, and Jay Vernon McGee is on the radio. You know, get on the Bible bus. Remember Jay Vernon McGee? Uh, if you do, you're, you're old. Um, and uh, it, Jay Vernon McGee, and he said, and, and uh, Jay Vernon McGee had the, through the Bible, the Bible bus took five years to go through the Bible, and this, uh, this, this old farmer would get up every morning and he would listen carefully to the teaching of God's word. He built his family on the teaching of the word of God. That is what he did. And that made sense. J. Vernon McGee's radio program always started out with, How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord. You don't have to pay me extra for this. I'll just sing for free laid for our faith in his ex how firm a foundation oh get your hymn book out let's just let's just sing some more you guys have been doing good go ahead and get your hymn i'm serious you're not getting your hymn book take it out 320 in the hymn book go ahead let's just sing it why not we have plenty of time today you don't want to go home on time all right are you ready can you do this sitting down We'll see if you sing properly. Oh, just stand up. Let's just stand up and sing How Firm a Foundation. Sing with me. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said? To you who for refuge to Jesus hath fled. Sing verse 3. I like this. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. For I will be with thee 
thy trouble to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. You're a singing church. Be seated. So, oh, Mr. Eckel, I watched him go through a hard trial. His only daughter died of cancer. His six boys were the pallbearers to carry his only girl to her grave up there north of Fremont, out in the countryside, where her body awaits the resurrection of the just. And that man built his life on the promises of this book. And I've noticed something about people who do that. When people build their life on the Bible, they believe the Bible is actually true, and they, they don't look at it like a, a book of collection of sentiments, but actually build their families, their marriages, their businesses, their churches, their lives on the Bible. Those people aren't exempt from trouble, but they're building their lives on the very foundation that God intended for their souls. And this is why we've been in this series, because I want to build my life on God's promises. I want to encourage you to build your life on God's promises. And here's what I think. I think we get tempted sometimes to treat, I mean, we're not the people that would take the Bible and throw it in a burn barrel. Like the fellow that we talked about the week before, last week or whenever I said that. That, that wouldn't be us. But we might be the people, you have you ever seen the guy that leaves his Bible in the back window of the car all week and then he gets it out for church or, you know, kind of have to dust it off or, or maybe, you know, you have it and it's very, it makes you feel happy and warm but you don't really treat it like the very words of the living God. Imagine this message was not planned today to coincide with Jim and Joy's presentation in the, in the earlier hour, but my goodness, you know, you've seen these videos. The videos were so good today. You've seen these videos of people groups receiving their copy of the Bible. And sometimes, right, there's a huge celebration and weeping and dancing and, and, and laughter and joy in just being able to get their hands on a copy of the Word of God. And we've got them everywhere. But are we, but are we building our lives on them? I want to, I uh, that's why we did the series. Why I want to encourage you and challenge you today and help you because we, the te- this, this, it's easy to drift and to just kind of like sometimes doubt pieces of the word and maybe really not take them seriously and maybe really not build our lives on them. And that's why this series, the, the Bible says about itself that it is the very word of God, the very words of God. This Bible, the Bible makes that claim about itself over 1,500 times. And that's staggering. People, almost everybody in the world, almost everybody in the world, large portions of the world would say, I think the Bible's probably a good book or a holy book or, or a helpful book, right? Lots and lots of people would say that. People, sometimes even in other religions, would say, well, they regard the Bible as, as, a, as, as, a, as a good book. But it's not a good book. It's not a good book at all if it lied about itself 1,500 times, right? If the Bible lied about itself 1,500 times, you're free to disregard everything that it says. Imagine that I told you that I wrote... A auto, uh, I wrote a biography of C.S. Lewis. 
I mean, imagine this. I imagine I, I was able to convince you in a coffee shop. Oh, oh, I wrote a biography of C.S. Lewis. I was there at Oxford. I sat in some of his uh, sessions. I heard him at Evensong at the church. I read some of his manuscripts, you know, before they were presented. I t- had personal conversations with him. I've written a book and it has all these footnotes. Ken Wyatt is a journalist. He's sitting back there looking at me going, he died in 1964 and you were born in 1958. How did you do that, Ken? And they'll be like, okay, okay, I lied. You're free to throw the book away. Right? If I said this is a first-hand eyewitness account of the life of C.S. Lewis, and I was six when I wrote it, you can just throw you can go ahead and throw it away. It's just full of lies. It's not a reliable thing. It isn't, it doesn't contain words from God, even. If the Bible lied about what it is, it isn't anything good at all. It is either the Word of God or you're free to disregard it altogether. And what we have in the Bible is fascinating. We have eyewitness accounts that spread across, you know, centuries of time from different places in the world and from different people. I talked to a lady once who went on a ride along with a police officer. In the middle of the night, he broke up a bar fight. He and some friends, other police officers, broke up a pretty nasty bar fight in a biker bar. This is not what I would want to be paid to do. And then they got that all together. The, the head guy comes by, and he says, and as the lady hears him say, guys, get together and make sure all of your reports agree and then file them. Anybody think that's a little scary? Get together, make sure all your reports agree, and fire them. Okay, that's not what happened in the Bible. Even just take the four Gospels. There was some interplay and dependence on one another, but they're significantly different, aren't they? They even have some supply details others don't have. There are even some apparent contradictions. There are no actual contradictions, but there are apparent contradictions. If you're collaborating together to make sure that you wrote the same story about the same guy, would you ever do something like that? Of course you wouldn't. The authentic authentic nature of the Bible is very obvious, but that's really not what we're talking about today. That's what we talked about in our first week. When we talked about evidences for the historic reliability of the Bible, and they are many, but we don't really, that isn't really the way, the main way that God gave us to come to a point of confidence that the Bible is the book upon which we can build our life. That's not the main way. Last week we talked about the main way, and that was through spiritual enlightenment. And the two passages of Scripture that we pointed you to last week, which I hope you will never forget, are 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6, and 2 Peter chapter 1 and verses 18 and 19. And both of them are were passages that are talking about spiritual enlightenment and specifically about God revealing the glory of who Jesus is, the beauty of the magnetic nature of who Jesus is in a spiritual way in our hearts when we read the Bible hungrily. Does that make sense? In other words, the way we come to believe that the Bible is the Bible is by reading it with a heart that God is enlightening and the hunger that you have to do that, you must assume, came from the Lord. I'll show you that a little bit, and then we're going to try to see if we can do this. I'm not sure I can, because I have like seven points, and I'll, it'll be a bit before I get to the seven points. I know that's really encouraging when your stomach is growling for our picnic dinner downstairs, and here I'm threatening you, you know. But I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my very best. Track with me on this. The 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6 says... The God of this world has blinded the minds of blinded the minds of unbelievers 
to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God? For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There it is. So, so how do you know that Jesus is God and how do you know the Bible is true? You read the Bible and the Spirit enlightens you to that. And there is a force at work in the world trying to keep you from believing that. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. He's working in, in unbelievers. also works in, in believers. In 2 Peter we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention like a light, like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart, which is a poetic way of saying this. It's a poetic way of saying if you want to know that Jesus is who he said he is and the Bible is what it claims to be, the way you come to that is not by studying history or evidence or, or necessarily eyewitness accounts primarily, although that's legitimate to do. It is by seeing, it's by seeing Jesus, beauties and glories in the Bible through an enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk more about exactly what does that look like. I'm going to talk to you like if you uh, are a 15-year-old kid and you're going, okay, help me. I, I want to know what that looks like. I'm going to talk to you today about that. And so I'm going to give you seven ways to do that. In 2 Timothy 2, it says that we're supposed to be not quarrelsome, but clear when we teach about Jesus to people. It, it says it like this, 2 Timothy 2.24, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting opponents with gentleness. Listen, so you've got that first part of the passage about doing a good job in your teaching. But then it says that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Are you tracking with this? You see, what I'm, you see where I'm going with this? You, you speak, and you speak as kindly and gently and without being quarrelsome and all of that. But then God enlightens them and, and then they see spiritually, they understand and believe, right? And it says they, then, they, then they come to their senses and they escape the snare of the devil where he has taken them captive to do as well. This is, are, you, are you with me? This is, how, this is kind of important. It's, it's explaining to you how to come to a full confidence that everything in the Bible is true so that you can build your life on the Bible when the storms of life blow into your life and they will blow when everything just seems like it's flying around, when sadness just crushes you, when despair sets in, when you have to go through the dark night of the soul, where are you going to go for answers about life right then? What are you really going to build your life on? Who are you really going to trust then? What do you really believe? We're going to find out what you really believe. And I'm saying that you need to really believe in the truth that is the truth. And the way you come to believe in that is in seeing the beauty and the glory of Jesus by an enlightenment of the Holy Spirit in your life by, by his image that is revealed in the written word of God, the Bible. This is the way he meant for it to be. So when you go to the villager that's out in Papua New Guinea and they don't have the apparatus that we have with the internet and all the things they can study, historical reliability of the Bible, eyewitnesses, if they get the Bible in their heart language and they read the Jesus story, the Holy Spirit enlightens them, they come to believe 
and every bit believe, and then later on they can entertain themselves with, with, with evidences. This is how we come to believe, and this is how we continue to believe, and this is how we deepen our belief, and this is the work of God. Matthew 16 says, Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is up in Caesarea there. He, he, he's quizzing them. Jesus says, you know, who do you say? They, and he says, who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the Messiah. Christ means Messiah. You're the coming Messiah, anointed one. You're coming. And what does Jesus say? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. What's he say? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven revealed this to you. Does this make sense? Over and over again, I'm showing you biblical evidence that the Holy Spirit actually helps you believe, causes you to have spiritual enlightenment. You want this. You're going to need this. You need it forever. You need it right now. What you're going through right now, you need to be able to anchor your life in the Bible, in the truth of the Bible, the promises of God. The story is true. You need that. In Luke 10, it says, In that same hour, he rejoiced the Holy Spirit, said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus is going to pray here. He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit, said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to children. In other words, sometimes educated people, sometimes wise, godless people, I mean educated godless people, intelligent godless people, are spiritually, often are spiritually clueless. Not being mean, but this is what the, the word says. You've hidden these things from people that we consider wise and prudent. You've revealed them to babes. There, there are going to be believing there are going to be men and women that like made their living doing the simplest thing. You know, I always appreciate somebody taking the garbage away from the curb. It's not hard, but it's hard, but it's not complex, right? It's just, if that guy that he spent his life, you know, driving from house to house, getting the garbage, taking away from the curb, he's doing a good thing. He's, he's, he may or may not be, you know, spending a lot of time working through intellectual arguments for the existence of God. If that man believes the Bible, if that man bases his marriage on the Bible, if that man bases his parenting on the Bible, he's going to break heaven wide open someday. He's going to take people with him. And somebody that's up in the, you know, that might be highly regarded, published, and considered very, very wise, and he holds the mic, and everyone listens to him, may burn in hell forever and ever, and take people to hell with him. This is life and death stuff. And God says he reveals it to us. Listen to this. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, Jesus said in Luke 10. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now you should be saying right now, choose to reveal him to me right now. You should be saying that. That should be going on in your heart right now. Okay, God, please let me be among those to whom you have chosen to reveal yourself. And if that inclination is in you, it's evidence the Spirit of God is already at work in your life because people don't come up with that on their own. God does that. If you have that going on, like I talked about last week in my little camp story, when there was this all zoo of, of distraction going on in my life, but yet still, when, the, you know, when night fell at camp, and when, the, when Jesus' story was told, and when I laid in my bunk at night, there was something in my heart that quickened my heart to, to, of love for God. Even though I was a wreck of a kid with all kinds of you know, sinful problems. Hey, I hate to tell you that. It's still true about me. I'm just not a kid anymore. But Jesus is at work in me. And that's very real. 
but why is that? Is because I'm a good guy? You, know, you don't know me well enough if that's what you think. It's because God is good and because God has chosen to reveal himself to me. I want this enlightenment. You need this enlightenment. This is a sovereign work of God that he blesses and employs means to bring it into being. This is, this is the enlightenment that we should desire. So are you ready for me to give you seven ways to strengthen your confidence in the Bible? Yeah. Okay, good. And I will do that. Watch this. Watch this little trick. Um, all right, seven. Number one, seek God. And this is kind of obvious, you know, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Don't you love that? This is one of those claims of the Bible that you can just camp on. Okay, God, did you really say that? If I draw near to you, you will draw near to me. God wants to be near to you more than you want to be near to him. Did, have you been seeking him? Seek God. Draw near to me. I will draw near to you. I'm, I'm, going, I'm going up to Camp Barakel this weekend. I'm speaking to kids up there. And they say their loons on Sheer Lake this summer. So when the loon calls, that's like God saying, I love you, Kenny. I love you special. That's why I let you hear the loon call. I'm going up there to get close to God and incidentally helping kids, you know, get close to God. I, I'm going up there to seek the Lord. I'll be up on the north end of the lake one day, you know, having my annual time of consecration uh, to the Lord. I try to build it in my life, you know. How do you do that? You build things in your life, say, I am drawing near to God. I'm seeking God. I'm hungry for God. This is what I do. God will reward that. God will bless that. God will honor that. Listen to what Psalm, this is what Psalm 109, and many references from Psalm 119. You might want to take your own Bible and take a highlighter and go through Psalm 119 this week and just start marking the promises and the truths about the power of God's word. Here, I've done that in this message. You'll see that a bunch. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with a whole heart. Psalm 119.2. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with a whole heart. You seek God's glory in creation, and it's there. And how fun is that, right? We live in Michigan. It's pretty easy to do that here in Michigan. Actually, I've been around the nation and other places in the world. It's an amazing world that God has created that tug hearts Godward. It's good to do that. Seek Him in that. Seek Him in evidences. Seek Him in His providence, but most of all, obviously, seek Him in His Word, where He has clearly spoken in His infallible, inspired, inerrant Bible. I want to tell you that the world that we're living in is going to try to take that away from you. Going to try to take that away from your kids. That's why I'm talking about this. And when they do that, and if they do that, you'll have no foundation for your life. Things will not go well for you. Things will not go for, well for your marriage, for your family, for your parenting, for this church, for your business. But the foundation of God's word, which is truth. The Bible says like a newborn babes, we are to long for pure spiritual milk that, it may, that we may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. It is through longing for God and longing for him through his word that we actually experience and taste that he is good and experience God. In, in uh, Psalm 34, 8, O taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So if you have that Bible curling in the back window of your car, if it's gathering dust, or if you really haven't paid much attention to it, or if you know it really well, but you just don't really do what it says, you might as well just throw it in a burn barrel and be honest about it. But if you, like me, every once in a while get your bell rung with something because something sad happened to you or somebody betrayed you or, or you see 
a revelation of the darkness of your heart you maybe hadn't seen before and you start to kind of like, whoa, what am I going to do? Then open up your Bible and seek the Lord. He'll be faithful to you. He's good, isn't he? And he hasn't silent. He's given us his word. Second, value God's word. Value. This is what Psalm 19 and verses 10 and 11. Psalm 19 is rich. Read that again. More to be desired are they than gold. Who believes that, right? Who believes that? Do you believe that? Your words, God, they're more to be desired than gold, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. And, and, oh, and you use them to warn your servant. <laughs> How fun is that, right? You use them to warn your servant. In keeping of them, there's great reward. This is what the Bible says about the Bible. It makes fantastic claims for itself. Uh, never trifle with God's word, but value God's word. Never trifle. Never squander spiritual inheritance. Never but cultivate a longing to know God and to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Be like Psalm 19, 119, 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. You believe that way about the Bible? Like, okay, this is what will help you get a greater confidence in the Bible. When number one, you seek God, and when number two, you value God's words, value God's words, that they're a treasure to you. And when we don't trifle with them, you know, because God is like, uh, Don Robinson is a, uh, Don Richardson was a great missionary guy, uh, came to Moody when I was at Moody, and he preached a message I've never forgotten. God is anti-Robin Hood. What did Robin Hood do? Stole from the, and gave to the, and God says, if you have, to he who has will more be given. This is in reference to spiritual. If I give you something spiritual value and you cherish it, I'm going to give you more. And that'll never stop. That's pretty cool. He's anti-Robin Hood like that. And, and, and that's what he said. If we delight in the law of the Lord, then the delight in our hearts for the law of the Lord will grow, and our delight will grow, and our, and our holiness will grow, and our vision of Jesus will grow. This is wonderful. Mark all the places in Psalm 119. Listen to what Psalm 119, 47 and 48 say. I find my delight in your commandment. This is all over the Psalms. I find my delight in your commandments. In our world, doesn't that seem counterintuitive? Oh, I love your commandments. No, we're like, don't tell me what to do. I'll tell you what to do for me. <laughs> but that's not the godly man. He says, I delight in your commandments, which I love, which I love. I will lift my hands toward your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. That is Psalm 119, 47 and 48. You know, Psalm 1, blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of the sinner or sits in the seat of scoffers, but, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. He loves his Bible. He loves that. When I love my Bible, then I have more light. When I seek God, I have more light. When I treasure God's word, I have more light, more enlightenment. And then I believe God's word. That replay, and, and, the, and the scriptures teach us, Think about this. I think it was, a guy one time I was, was actually reading what he wrote. He said, Facebook. I'm on Facebook. I'm not against Facebook, so I'm not one of those crabby old dudes. I'm just old. Uh, but, but, but he said, Facebook is evidence for God at the judgment seat of Christ that you really did have time to read your Bible. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a zinger, isn't it? So I got this little thing on mine. You have a phone like mine? I got a big fancy phone. It's almost paid off. I got a big fancy phone here, and my phone tells me how much time I spend on Facebook. I'm not telling you that. But it actually tells me the percentage of time that I was on my phone that I was on social media. And I'm a social guy, so I'm a wreck on that stuff, you know. But it just looks at me and goes, and, I, and, you, and, and you're like, and what if you had an app that told you how often did your heart just delight in what God said was true? I don't mean you just like some kind of pious windbag that sits around your nose in a book all the time, in the Bible all the time, and you really don't live like Jesus. We, we know people like that. They're yucky. That's not what we're talking about. I'm saying that you, you put away worthless things. You, you say, no, I'm going to say no to that. That's a worthless thing or an empty thing or even an evil thing. I'm going to say yes to the Bible or to something written about the Bible. This is, I, this is Psalm 119.37. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Give me your ways, God. Isn't that good? Turn my eyes from looking at things that are worthless. It's not that you can't enjoy following your baseball team you, you, or, or like fishing or, or like golf. You know, that's not what, what he's saying. It's just that you, you understand that in all that you do and in everything that you do, there's, that, that, you, that you day and night meditate on the truths that are from God's word. You believe them and you, and you build your life on them. And then... Jesus reveals himself to you powerfully. This is that quote from last week again. I'll get to that in a minute. Let me say it this way. Uh, maybe you remember this, because I may have told you this, but I, but I want to embed it in your heart. Pastor Fred goes, visits lady in hospital. She's a wreck. She's going to have surgery. She's a total wreck. He notices when he visits her home, she's got all those like magazines, those kind of like gossip magazines everywhere. They're by her chair, they're by, you know, everything. He knows when he goes to the hospital, she's got those gossip magazines. She knows everything about everybody in popular culture, but she's a wreck on the eve of her surgery. And Fred says to her, I love coming over to your house and going down in your cellar. You know how you go down in your cellar? Because, you know, you garden and then you can all that stuff. And in the middle of the winter, sometimes I come over to your house, you go down in the basement and you bring up peaches. In the middle of the winter. And you put springtime on the table in the middle of the winter. The problem is right now, it's winter and you've got nothing in the cellar. Winter's coming, folks. You're going to have to have something in the cellar. I've been there. Have you? Most of you have, right? You're going to hear something you thought you'd never hear. You're going to be tempted in a way you never thought you were tempted. You don't know what's coming. You better, you better have something in the cellar. You better have something ready. You better have something down there. More than just like trivia about the tigers, which is kind of like worthless anyway, right? I mean, I mean, I love the tigers, right? I mean, don't tar and feather me. But man, if I place my hope in my baseball team... My baseball team hasn't won since the big red machine in the 1970s. Most of you weren't even born then. You know, that's a long time ago. That's not my hope, right? I know a guy, it was in a church, he knew everything. It was in Ohio. He knew everything about the Cincinnati Reds. He knew every player. He knew every statistic. He knew everything. Every pitch, every, every count. He knew, he knew postseason play. He knew likely trades he knew everything he was not he was of no, he was of no consequence when it came to the things of the lord when it's time for the men of the church to really pray and to prevail for the things that were happening in the church he was of no consequence but he's smart enough to memorize all that stuff i mean it's okay to love the reds i, I get that i mean you, you know if you're living down there you can't root for anybody else but I, 
But, but to be of no consequence spiritually when your wife needs help or when your kids need to be encouraged or not to have any, like, uh, any, any knowledge of the Bible when you need to reach kind of down deep. and find, You see, that's what I'm saying, putting away worthless things. What am I saying here? It's um, value the words of God. Let's go to number three. Pray continually for spiritual enlightenment when you meditate on Scripture. Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. You ever have that happen? Jim, you said it. I cried when you said that this morning. When you're reading the Word and the Spiritless lights you up. And you're like, that's just like something you can't get anywhere else. And he's like speaking the Word directly to the circumstance that so was crushing your heart or so confusing you. This is the way the Spirit works. This is what Jesus said when he went away. I'll send my Spirit. He's going to remind you of my words. He's still doing that. In precise split-second timing, he will remind you of his words that correspond with what you should or shouldn't be doing or saying or thinking and he will help you he will help you in you know in the despair that's so confusing to you and a lot of our problems are so confusing we can't get them untangled right we even smart people help us and we can't seem to get our our really bad problems untangled you've been there you have the word of god underlying that there's the truth of god that's forever and so when you obey that, you can trust that even if you understand how it's working, it's working. And so you pray for spiritual enlightenment. And number four, you confess any sin or stubbornness that might cloud your spiritual sight. This is important because we're, we're stubborn by nature. I'll tell you what I want you to do, God. You don't tell me what you want me to do. I will rub the genie bottle and you will come out and you will perform what I need you and then you'll go back in the bottle and leave me alone. Till I need you the next time. What was it somebody said? We don't follow Jesus to get where we're going. We follow Jesus to get where he's going. And he might just like take you on a special adventure. <laughs> Anybody, can I get a witness on that? Oh, I didn't think divorce was going to be the special adventure. Some of you are like, yeah, that's, you, I can testify that he took me through that, you know? I didn't think that I was going to go to my kid's funeral can testify you know so i not me but somebody can testify god can take you through that dark water but not without a foundation <laughs> you don't want to be stubborn and you don't want to be let sin get between you and this enlightenment keep steady my steps according to your promise let no iniquity get dominion over me psalm 119 133 don't let any iniquity get dominion over me that's the psalm 19 passage it culminates in that that beautiful passage about nature and about creation about the about the word from from verses 7 through 9 in psalm 19 it ends with a flourish of warnings about sin getting its grips on us and it says in delivering me from the great transgression and then it ends with but the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight O god my strength and my redeemer i i need your word embedded in me so that when i'm tempted to start down the path of slavery to sin and destruction of my life, that I won't go that way. Let no iniquity get dominion over me. So meditate especially on the qualities of Christ-likeness that you lack. Humble yourself. This is painful good. Romans 8, 29, that we'd be conformed to the image of a son. It's painful good. Let your wife tell you a few things you need to work on. Have an honest talk with your kids. Have them tell you some stuff you need to work on. Then go before the Lord and go, oh, I'm undone. I flee to Christ and his righteousness. I plead for the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Confess sin and stubbornness. Don't miss this step. 
If you want God to come alive in your life, then candidly evaluate yourself. And, and do it regularly. And do it faithfully. And do it thoroughly. I'm not talking about morbid introspection. I'm not talking about weird sickness. I'm taking you somewhere good, right? When I'm done here, I have the righteousness of Christ to which I can flee. I have the power of the Holy Spirit to, upon which I can depend. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not, the condemnation isn't the end of it. It's like, oh God, how I lack your character. Oh Jesus, how I'm unlike you. Holy Spirit, work in me. Jesus, form your beauty in my life. This is what you promised you would do. I'm asking you for that. I confess I'm not that way. Number five, especially cultivate. This is huge. Especially cultivate affection for Christ. Seeking the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I'll come back to this and, and talk about it more. If especially cultivate affection for Christ. Jesus says, in, he's talking on the road to Emmaus, how would you like to have been on that walk? Road to Emmaus with Jesus. Edersheim says it was actually a beautiful place and flower-strewn lemon trees, babbling brook, the men or men and women, whoever that was, walking over the little bridge you see in the picture, which I'm sure is biblical. Um, and, 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 there, and, and, there, and he opens up the scriptures and he reveals everything concerning himself in the Old Testament scriptures. And then they say, oh, did our hearts burn within us? I think I said, wow, didn't the lights go on? Didn't our hearts burn? Didn't I? Whoa, I never got that at a baseball game. It never happened when I was cross-stitching. Wow. You never felt that at a political rally? That's the first time you've seen that gesture in a pulpit, I imagine. But, but their hearts burn within them. Why? Because Jesus was showing he believed the Old Testament. Okay, listen to me. If you have doubts right now, think about this. If Jesus Christ was buried and rose again and he believed the Old Testament, you do not have to figure that all out. You just believe in him. That's the heart of it. When I see the glory of Jesus revealed in the Scriptures, then I know that all that he believed, I believe. He's the very Son of God. I believe it. He believed it. I believe it. He rose from the dead. I believe everything he says. I'll follow him. I will never turn away. God help him. And he will strengthen me. I will never turn away. I don't want to doubt him. I want to believe him. I want to trust him. This is, there's so much more. Number six, renounce Satan in all his words. Do you guys remember when Charles Perlos was baptized? I didn't teach him this. Somebody taught him this. He, he was learning here and there and listening. to. He would always surprise me with stuff that he said before he died. One of the things he wrote into his testimony is historic in the church. church. People in church back through the ages have often done this. I didn't coach him to do it. He did it himself. When he wrote out his testimony, he says, I renounce Satan and all of his works. I renounce, I got, <laughs> where'd you come up with that? That's, that's historic. I renounce Satan and all the works. Good idea. Because look, look, what the, look what the Bible says here. The, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome because these people need to escape from the snare of the devil. And we, when we're in, when we're believing a lie, we need to escape from the snare of the devil. The devil says to you, you need to put a limit on how much you serve. <laughs> well, yeah. Jesus says, you need to lay down your life and die. Hmm. Oh, well, just something to think about. Look at the next one. It, this is in 2 Corinthians 4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So renounce Satan and all of his works 
and, and then um, there might be mysterious things that, that you can't untangle, and they might be chemical, and they might be physical, and they might be psychological. We don't really know all of this stuff. Here's what we do know. There is a God. There is a devil. His word is true. Keep pressing into Christ with whatever that's troubling you. Keep pressing into Christ. Renounce Satan and all of his works, and that whole mess that we don't even understand, he will untangle it someday. And the path of just, the path of the just is like a shining light. It's getting brighter and brighter until the full light of dawn. You have a, you have a spiritual glorious sunrise in your future if you keep following Jesus Christ. You'll burst into glory someday. And then number seven, obey and follow the light you have. Obey and follow the light that you have. This is what Psalm 119.10 says, With my whole heart I will seek you, and I will not wander from your commandments. So like, you mind, give me time for a couple stories? Okay, then I will. All right, so, so this week, this is how it worked. I'm going to go to lunch. I, know, I should probably go home. But then I think, well, maybe I should write over here. Maybe I should do that. I don't know. You know, I'm kind of like, uh, if you haven't figured, I'm a little bit like flighty. And, and, and I'm not sure. So I'm driving down, and I'm thinking Culver's. I'm going to go to Culver's. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm like, that's probably not the Holy Spirit. That's probably Ken's belly, you know. That's probably because I like Culver's. And, and kids' meals, like five bucks, and you get ice cream with your sandwich. Everybody's going to go there now. They should give me money. I mean, actually, everybody already does go there. No, not today. Don't, don't go today. Anyway, so I, I go to Culver's thinking it was my idea. Stay with me. This is actually important. So you're going, well, what's this about? Okay, so I, I walk in, and I look over there, and there's a table with six chairs and five people. There's people I know, and I look over and I go, hey, you had a party. You didn't invite me. They're like, well, come on over. Sit down. So I go over, and I sit down. And I, I will believe until I die, God showed up. And he sent me there for, for two reasons. There was somebody there I needed to encourage. And there was somebody there that was going to encourage me. <laughs> I, we, we got done. We prayed. We said, okay, whew. God did this, didn't he? Everybody at the table goes, he did, he did. This is the God we serve. It actually guides people, reminds them of his word, sends them places where they need to go, helps them avoid what they need to avoid, checks them when they're saying something they shouldn't be saying, inspires them to say something they should say. This is the living God who works in people. When I was up, going up to Camp Barakel, I have a, at Camp Barakel, the founder was a guy named Johnson Holman. He, he was a youth pastor in Jackson years ago. He founded Camp Barakel, and, 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 and he, he, when he died, they buried him there, and so his grave is there. So you can kind of go visit his grave and think about how God used this, this dear old fella and, and to build such a beautiful ministry. And so I go there, and, and a couple years ago, my grandson was with me. This week, two of my grandsons, Kyle and Oliver, will be with me. And Kyle was with me, and we went to visit Uncle Johnny's grave. And I want to tell him this story about a man who followed God, and who trusted God, and who depended on God for things, and who accomplished things for God. I wanted to tell him that story. And so we, we quietly go out there, you know, and, and, and we sit by the grave for a while. And then I said, this man here was, just a, was a youth pastor. He didn't have any money. He didn't have connections. He was, a youth, he was just a youth pastor, graduated Moody. He's a farm boy, graduated from Moody. And then he came and he was a youth pastor. And he noticed that kids responded really well when they took him out and Nature, but they didn't listen as well to him. He wasn't like, he didn't consider himself a very gifted speaker. And so he looked for a plot of land. When you go up there now, it's like, my goodness, it's so developed. There's buildings everywhere and programs and staff. It's gorgeous, wonderful, really well-run camp. It kind of beggars your imagination. You think, how would a person do all this kind of a thing? And of course, there are bigger things than that. But as I sit there at his grave, 
This is what I told my grandson, Kyle. I said, Kyle, this man just drove to the end of the headlights in his life, out into the dark world in which he was living. He just obeyed what God told him one step at a time. He just kept doing what God said to do. And then all of this happened. And I don't suppose my footprint in the world is going to be anything like that. It doesn't have to be. But I do want to follow this darkness out ahead and the headlights just shine down the road a little bit. And God says, I'm not going to tell you the whole trip, just drive to the end of the headlights. Because when you drive to the end of the headlights, they're going to shine further down the road then. When you obey what God said, he's going to tell you something more to obey and it's going to get real interesting. And if you keep following the headlights of God's will out into the darkness of your life, only God knows where that's going to take you. Only God knows. But he has told us in his word it's an inexpressibly glorious place. Now, because we're not so eager to just go eat, we want to sing again. And we want to sing the song we, we sang earlier. We've asked you to sing it again. I'd like to ask you right now just to reverently and quietly stand to your feet. We're going to quietly stand to your feet. Would you do that? And we're going to sing this song and then I'm going to pray. We're going to, and I hope you'll join us. We have plenty to eat today. Just, just go down right st- downstairs. Don't go away. Stay with us. We'll eat together. We'll fellowship together. We'll, we'll talk with the abbot some more. I want to pray, and then, uh, and then I trust that you will express your, your heart to the Lord. This hope that we're singing about is the hope that we only have because we have a Bible we can trust. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who are here today who are hurting, who are, who are peering out into darkness, whose hearts are heavy, who are tempted, who, people who, who may soon be tempted, that we would have confidence that we can build our lives on the firm foundation that is your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen.
that you've given us or that we can trust trust that we could base our lives on or knowing that you're good for it that you are leading us your place in our steps Lord help us to trust you as you ask us to take one step at a time Lord knowing that we're following where you're going not where we're going Lord, help us to follow you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, don't forget, we've got a meal downstairs. Everyone's invited. Uh, we get to hang out with the Abbots. And uh, yeah, we'll have some good fellowship. So see you there. We'll dismiss. Sometimes it's hard to keep believing in what you can't see. That everything happens for a reason Even the worst life brings If you're reaching for an answer And you don't know what to pray Just open up the pages Let His Word be your strength And hold on to the promises Hold on to the promises Just hold on.